There's a story in the Bible that many of us are familiar with us. Uh, that many of us are familiar with. There we go. Helps if you can talk. That's a, that's a good thing for what we're about to, <laughs> about to do here this morning. It's a story about a father who has two sons. The younger son decides that he is done living with the father and requests his full inheritance so that he might leave and live how he wants. Outside the rules of his father's house. Though this gets the rumor rumor mill working overtime, the father does what his younger son requests. And the younger son, the one that we commonly refer to as the prodigal, goes running off to spend his inheritance, satisfying the needs of the flesh. He spends it on wild living, on women, booze, drugs, and parties. And when his entire inheritance is spent, he is left dirt broke and is only able to find a job feeding pigs. He gets to the point where he is so hungry that he envies the pigs their food. At this point, he remembers his father. He remembers that the slaves in his father's house eat better than he is eating. And so he returns home hoping to be employed by his father, looking for a job. So that at least he can eat. At the bare minimum, he can take care of his hunger. Back at home, the father has not forgotten his son. He stares down, down the long driveway leading to the house, hoping that at some point his son will return. And then one day, there he is. The father runs to the son and welcomes him back into the family. He orders that the fatted calf, the calf used for celebrations, be slaughtered for tonight. They will party. The son who is lost has been found. The son who is dead is alive. And that's all well and good for the younger son, but the father, the father has two sons. The older son is not happy with this arrangement. He's been the good soldier. He has stayed where he was supposed to. He has done what he has been asked. He has been responsible. He's been a good son. How could the father celebrate the return of this disobedient prodigal son? Where was the punishment for this foolishness? Where was the reprimand for his actions, for his sin? How could the father show such grace and mercy? It's it's just not right. As we finish our series in the book of Jonah, we see Jonah today playing the role of the older brother. And though we might say, well, he didn't do all the things that he was supposed to do, right? Jonah didn't do all the things he was supposed to do as we've, we've gone through. He was reluctant to God's call and he ran. And he was reluctant to God's sovereignty, thinking that he could outsmart and, and outmaneuver the living God, maker of wind and sea. And then we see he finally is brought to his senses after a couple of nights in the belly of a large fish. He went and and he did what he had been asked to do in the beginning. But had there ever been a less enthusiastic messenger? It's true true that, that Jonah was not what we would call a good soldier. But it's also true that Jonah, being an Israelite, was part of God's household, was part of the people that God had made his covenant with. And all of Jonah's rebellion, all of his reluctance was centered around the thought that God should not be showing grace and mercy to those outside of the promise. In Jonah's mind, God should not be showing grace and mercy to those who do not deserve it. And in that way, Jonah is the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son. 
In the last chapter, the father invited the prodigal son into the house for the party. God relented. He changes his direction. He decided not to bring judgment upon Nineveh because of their repentance. In our text today, we will find out how Jonah responds to the reluctance of God to bring judgment. It's on page 775 in your pew Bible, or you are welcome to read along with the text on the screen. Jonah, chapter 4. Let's read the word of the Lord. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till... Or, till he should see what hap- what man uh, till he should see what would become of the city now the lord appointed a plant and made it come up over jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort so jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant but when the dawn had come up the next day god appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, for which it came into being in the night and perished in the night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? Thus ends the reading. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak to us through your word this morning, Lord, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. What an ending to the story. We don't really get any resolution for Jonah. The last time we see this prophet, he is angry and faint out in the desert on the outskirts of Nineveh, railing against the God that he serves, mad about God's display of grace and mercy which holds its own little bit of irony, seeing as Jonah was just rescued from the depths of the Mediterranean, from the land of the dead, saved by a great fish that was sent out of grace and mercy, the very same grace and mercy that was then showered upon the Ninevites when they repented. So in chapter 2, Jonah praised the mercy and grace of God, and here in chapter 4, he hates it. Why? Why? What's what's the difference? We get a clue in Jonah's prayer in verse 2 of chapter 4, where we read, And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was in my country? 
That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. In his prayer, in this prayer, Jonah uses the term hesed, which means steadfast love, but it also means covenant faithfulness. It is the word used to describe God's faithfulness to the covenant that God made with Abraham, that God made with his chosen people. And Jonah's throwing this out almost like an accusation saying, you promised to be faithful to your people. How could you let this this steadfast love, this faithfulness, this mercy and grace extend to those who are not part of the covenant? This isn't who is supposed to receive mercy and grace. This isn't who is supposed to be spared judgment. They're supposed to get all of it. They're supposed to get both barrels. Their city should be raised to the ground and I should be able to enjoy watching it happen under this wonderful little plant. These are my enemies, God. These are your enemies. They are an enemy of your people. How could you show them mercy? How could they warrant Grace. Jonah feels so betrayed by God's outpouring of grace over Nineveh that he wants to die. He is so shaken, shaken to the roots of his being, the roots of his thought process, that he desires death. Jonah is totally opposed to the gracious and merciful character of his God when God's mercy results in the salvation of those who are outside the promise, when God's mercy results in the salvation of the undeserving, when God's mercy results in the salvation of the Gentiles. Jonah doesn't want God to have mercy. Jonah wants God to punish. Jonah is reluctant to God's grace. Are we reluctant to God's grace. On June 13th, 1983, Carla Faye Tucker and her then boyfriend Danny Garrett broke into the apartment of their friend Jerry Dean in order to rob him. Over the course of the burglary, Tucker murdered Dean and Deborah Ray Thornton, a woman staying at Dean's apartment with a pickaxe. Yes. Tucker was sentenced to death on April 25th, 1984, and during her incarceration, however, she became a Christian. A Bible had been brought to her to her room, and upon reading it, she was overcome, and she repented and received faith. In an interview with Larry King, she said, Before I knew it, I was just, I was, I was in the middle of my floor on my knees, just asking God to forgive me. Now we hear that story and and we smile and wonder at God's power to forgive and his ability to save. But how do you think the husband of Deborah Ray Thornton felt? Because of her conversion and the outspokenness of her faith, there was a push to save Tucker from execution. But a voice that was angrily outspoken about his desire to see Tucker receive the lethal injection was Richard Thornton, husband of the murdered woman. Once the sentence had been carried out, Richard Thornton was reported to have said, The world is a better place. It's not easy to accept the idea that forgiveness and grace and mercy have been given to those who have hurt us. 
I think of the families of the victims of killers who converted to Christianity before they died, like Carla Faye Tucker, Jeffrey Dahmer, David Berkowitz, and others like Chris Watts. I think of Corey Tenboom standing before the man who had been her guard at a concentration camp and asked her for forgiveness. I think of the kids who bullied me in school, who took advantage of my size and degraded me so that they could feel better about themselves. Is there someone in your life that you have a hard time forgiving? Is there someone in your life that you have a hard time knowing is forgiven? That you have a hard time accepting the great, that grace and mercy has been poured out on them? Are you at times reluctant to God's grace poured out over the broken? Jonah certainly was. You see, Jonah is a sinner saint whose chief problem is application of the gospel. He doesn't understand the gospel. He is sent to people to preach the good news, but he doesn't really understand what the good news is. He sees it as limited. He sees it as secluded. He sees it as only for those who deserve it, who have earned it, who were born into it. He sees it only for those who are part of the promise. This is Jonah's struggle. And are we sometimes sinners, saints, who struggle to apply the gospel? Are we people who can recognize our own brokenness and be so thankful for God's grace and mercy poured out over us and yet struggle to be okay with God's grace and mercy poured out over the brokenness of others? I think that we each have moments, have times where this is our struggle. How can this grace be this accessible? How can it be this scandalous? How can it be this free? How does the writer of Jonah portray this struggle, this reluctance of Jonah's? All throughout this book, there are mentions of evil. Now, we don't, we don't see it as much because the word for evil is often translated in different ways in the English throughout the book. But the reality is that the word shows up many times in the Hebrew. There is the evil that is being done by the Ninevites in Jonah 1-2. Evil afflicts the sailors in the form of the storm sent by Yahweh in chapter 1, verses 7 to 8. The focus returns to the Ninevites as they repent and turn from their evil ways in chapter 3, verse 10. And in response to this action, God changes his verdict and does not carry out the evil destruction of the city, also in chapter 3, verse 10. And then finally, an evil comes to Jonah here in chapter 4, verse 1. Now again, our English translations don't use the word evil in each of these circumstances, but that is the word that is used in the Hebrew. It's the same word echoed throughout the narrative, throughout the story. But there's only one place in the entire story of Jonah where the the word evil is referenced as a great evil. There's only one place where the adjective great is put in front of evil, and that is right here in chapter 4, verse 1. The greatest evil in the book is Jonah. Not the Ninevites in their horribly immoral ways, but Jonah and his anger at God's grace and mercy. Luther put it this way when talking about Jonah. He, a servant of the true God and a member of the holiest land and nation, turns out to be the worst 
and most grievous sinner worse than the idolatrous heathen. But we may not like to admit it, and we may not like to hear it. Our reluctance to God's grace is also a great evil. And as we wrestle with that, as we struggle with that, let us also remember, let us also never forget that God has grace for the reluctant. There is grace for you as you struggle. There is grace for you as you struggle in your fight against sin. And there is grace for you as you struggle with those who have received grace and mercy. We see this is true throughout this story of Jonah. Just look at it. Despite his disobedience and his sin, God uses Jonah. Jonah proclaims God's word, which brings mercy to a people who in no way deserve it. And then Jonah goes on to prove that he as well is not worthy of that same mercy. This is the point of chapter 4 and indeed is the point of the entire book. And it is this grace is not earned or deserved, but Yahweh, God, lavishes it on the undeserving who receive it through repentance and faith. If you take nothing else from this sermon, if you take nothing else from the book of Jonah, take that. God, or grace, is not earned or deserved, but God lavishes it on the undeserving, who receive it through repentance and faith. God lavishes his grace upon you. You do not earn it. You do not deserve it. Despite your sin, despite how offensive to him your actions are, he loves you anyway. And yet because of our sin, there is no way that we could earn our way into relationship with him. But this does not stop the Almighty God. And so to make relationship with us happen, to make relationship with his broken and sinful creation, he sent Jesus Christ, his one and only Son, to carry the burden of our sin and our shame and to pay the price for them, dying on the cross. And so through faith in him, through faith in Jesus, we are reconciled to God, brought back into relationship with him. This is what God wanted for the people of Nineveh. This is what God wanted for Jonah. And this is what God wants for us. He longs to pour out his grace and mercy on the broken. God longs to be reconciled with the reluctant. What a blessing this story of Jonah is. Oh, Jonah, what a man... What a prophet and what a book. What a picture of reluctance. And what a fantastic promise of grace. Amen.